Well, good morning. It really is great to see you. It's, uh, it's fun to be here. I have already met quite a few really fairly new people this weekend at Timberline who have recently moved here and all kinds of stuff. So if you're new around here, welcome. Make yourself at home. We often say you can only visit once and then you're part of our family, all right? We actually call this room our living room because we talk about real life in here and, and uh, we keep it real. And so thank you. And come to Summit. Man, Bonnie and I would love to get to know you a little better. It's like a little bit of FaceTime where we can kind of uh, talk about our church and where we're going and why we do what we do. So uh, if you're not registered, that's okay. Just show up. I'll give you some of my pizza. All right. <laughs> Seriously. But anyway, we're really delighted to have you here. It is. It's a lot of fun. Well, um, I can't believe Easter's like three weeks away. It just blows my mind that that's going to actually happen. We are in the book of Mark, and we are going just verse by verse. We're a very Bible-centered church, and we've decided to take some time and just walk through the whole book and go verse by verse. And this passage that we're looking at today, starting with chapter 3, has a few tough uh, situations in it that we're going to kind of break down and talk about and try to understand, especially because of the culture that it was written in. But bottom line, it's a sermon about accusation. It's a message, and this story is a message of where the religious leaders accuse Jesus of being the worst, it's the worst accusation you could have. It'd be, in this culture, it'd be worse than adultery or stealing or anything. And that would be of being demon-possessed. And I'm, I'm not sure Jesus at first even knew quite what to do with this. I mean, this is a big step way beyond where they could, should have even been thinking. But they knew that that would probably take him out. And so... We're going to talk about all that, and we're going to see where it goes. But I guess I just, I just want to ask the question of you. Like, first of all, have you ever been falsely accused? You know, some of you are shaking your heads. There are people in our culture who have spent time in jail for something they didn't do. There are people in corporations, and some of you have jobs where someone said something about you that wasn't true. And... It almost cost you your job, or it did cost you your job, and it's, it's hard. I mean, those are hard things, and we're in a culture that just fights back. We're in a culture that we don't want that stuff to happen to us. We have social media now, and there's a lot of people punching it out in social media. So I think it's important for us to look at how Jesus responds to a false accusation. Can I learn something? From him, I, I mostly learn about my life and the truth about myself when I'm driving. <laughs> Anyone else understand this? I don't even know I had that in me. Like, what? Bonnie's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you're usually not with me when I do this, so... And then other times I'm like the most patient person. I see a, an older person kind of leaning over the wheel and I'm just like, oh, honey, you come on through. We'll just, we'll, I'll escort you if you need me to. But then I get that car full of teenagers looking at their phone. The light's been green for 30 seconds. And I just want to, you know, let love live right on. <laughs> just 
Just soak up the love. If you're new, that's our theme as a church, let love live. So if you didn't know that. So we're going to read a, a unique account and we're going to see how Jesus responds to false accusation and then learn a couple other things along the way. The first point, if you have the app open or you're following along, uh, is, is panic. Just the word panic. Because what we're about to see, we're about to visit a scene that is filled with panic. And I think this sets the stage and it becomes very important. And I'll explain why as we go through it. I'm going to read from Mark 3. And I'm going to start with verse 20. And I'm going to, I'm going to pause a couple times and explain what's going on because it's a little confusing. This passage confuses a lot of people. Mark 3 verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house... And the crowds began to gather again. Okay, what house is this? We don't know the exact house, but we know from even the past few weeks in this series, can you guys recall, they stopped at some of the same houses in the area, and the people who owned those homes were kind enough to let them stay or have a meal, sometimes even spend the night. So we have stories where they, they came to one of those houses and some people cut out some tiles in the roof. Remember that? That was, I don't know that that was this house, but it's, it's one of the houses that they let Jesus and his disciples use as he traveled all around the area doing ministry. So, I mean, he's setting people free. He's healing people. He has a following. This guy is becoming really famous. So there are people who are following him. They hear he's going to the next town. They get together, get their family, and they go to the next town to see what's going to happen. So, so he enters this house. The crowds begin to gather again. In other words... These are people who know that he's coming and they're coming into the house. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. <laughs> why, why did Mark put that in there? Is that like the weirdest sentence in the Bible ever on the planet? I'm like, is Mark a big eater or what? He's a foodie. I mean, we're talking about Jesus about to be accused of being demon possessed. And Mark goes, man, they didn't even have a chance to eat. I know I find humor in the Bible. No one else does. But that is funny. That is funny. Well, there's a point in why he's saying this. Eating was a big deal. You study the life of Jesus. He ate with people he wasn't supposed to eat with, like Zacchaeus, like tax collectors, like Matthew. And, and it's really why they hated him. The, the religious leaders hated him for that. Because eating was a special, sacred time to be with family. Family of like kind. Okay, so Mark is trying to make a point that the house got so busy and it filled up and a lot of the people that filled up with were not believers. They were actually there to accuse Jesus. And in these days, you know, people, a home like this, people would just walk right into it. I don't, I, I don't like that. How many of you lock your doors? You know, I lock my doors. You stay out of my house. You come in my house at night. I'm not expecting you. There's going to be trouble, okay? So, so I'm, I, I, they, people are walking. They're coming and going. They don't know all these people, and it's crazy. So busy, and all the people are talking that it's, it's chaos, and they don't even have time to eat, even if someone has prepared the meal, which I believe they had. And, and in your mind, just say, they're, the disciples, they're walking. They're almost to this house, and they're going, Woo, it's been a long day. You ever been there? And you're like, I just can't wait to get my feet up, get some food in me. How many of you get grumpy when you get hungry? Just to be honest with me. 
So if you have kids right now and, and they're hungry or they're little or they're tired, uh, that is a problem because they will let you know it. So that's what's happening in the story is it's a tough situation. They come in, there's people everywhere. And I'm, I'm saying all this to tell you this. I believe that one of the greatest enemies of your life is to get you tired and hungry and busy with stuff that doesn't matter that much. And you're running in and you're trying to fill the tank and you're trying to have a word and someone doesn't say the right thing and it frustrates you and you're headed back out the door and, and you snap back and they snap back again and, and it all builds and all of a sudden there's conflict in your house and the kids aren't happy and you don't know what to do and you're gone for another two hours and that's our life. Be aware of just your physical surroundings. God wants you to be rested. He wants you to be fed. Thank God we live in a culture and a country where for most people, food is available, right? Aren't you thankful for that? It's, that, it's simple, but it's profound. And they didn't have time to eat. And when people get busy and they get hungry and they get tired and they have strong opinions, uh, trouble happens. Even some of you have families that you have to pay attention. And it's a family gathering. It's Christmas. It's Easter. It's Thanksgiving. We're all going to be together. Well, you know who's going to be there. There's going to be potential for problems. I know they're going to say something. Because they always do. It's like those wonderful neighborhood HOA meetings. Everybody comes happy. But they have an agenda, right? I've been to a few of those, and I've had the privilege of living in great neighborhoods. But man, I moved out of an HOA neighborhood for a reason. How many of you don't live in an HOA neighborhood? Just give God thanks right now for you. Actually, HOAs can be wonderful. I, 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 you know that. But, but I, I was in the room when I heard people saying, their parents' motorhome has been in the street for more than 24 hours. And that's against the HOA rules. Burn it. Burn it. <laughs> that trailer cannot be sitting there. Been there two days. I have pictures. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked now. Let's keep going. <laughs> I just thought of a great story, but I'm not going to tell you. Number two. I do need to tell you one thing, though, in case you're wondering. Sorry, I meant to do this earlier. I... I, people have been asking me all weekend if I don't say something. My nose has a big scar now right here, and the cameras are tough. I mean, who wants their face to be six feet tall anyway? But I had a cancer on my nose. And many of you, I've had some, a lot of new friends at Timberline since saying this last night, and they're coming and showing me all their scars. It's amazing. <laughs> and so I'll be at the Welcome Center if you want to come and see my scar. And they had to cut this whole thing out. It was a Mohs surgery where they take it and, you know, look at it. And then they had to pull all my nose back over and put it back on. <laughs> no, not quite. But it was pretty abrasive. I looked horrible. Like, not that I ever looked great, but you know what I'm saying? Um, so if you see that in the camera or the light, I'm still healing. But um, just deal with it. Come say hi and show me your scars. We'll have a nice meeting. Okay, number two, confusion and accusation. There's this... This thing that happens in the story where it, it's very confusing and, and there's some strong accusation about Jesus 
that I think some people didn't see coming. And I want you to take a look at what Jesus does. Now, here's where I want to explain some of the language in this passage. In, in verse 21, it says, when his family, this is New Living Translation, NIV says the same thing. Who, first of all, who are they talking about here? Jesus. But here's the problem. The word family there can mean three or four different things. So a lot of people interpret this as when his family, like mom and brothers, heard what was happening, they tried to take him away and they said he was out of his mind. But that's not what's happening. If you look down, if you have your Bible, verse 31, the mom isn't even there in the story yet. Neither are the brothers. They come in verse 31. We'll talk about that later. So it's not immediate family. And that's important because they're never going to say he's mad or that he's crazy. But one of the Greek definitions of this word that's translated here as family, KGV, King James translates it as friends. And probably the best definition is those in close proximity. So, so what's happening is when Jesus, his, these people in close proximity to him heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. That's not his immediate family. But the, the teachers of religious law, who are they? Are they his friends? No, not at all. They hate him. They've been, they've been saying terrible things about him, his miracles and everything else. They arrived from Jerusalem, and they started to say in the house, they get in this house. I don't know how big the house is. I don't know if there's 25 people there or 80 people there. I don't know. But they're all crammed into this little house. And they say... He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. This is where he gets the power to cast out demons. Now, you have to understand in this culture that Jesus was in, this accusation of saying someone is possessed by demons, that they are mad, that they are crazy, usually go together and is usually the dismissal of that human being for the rest of their life. They're done. If it's a believable lie about Jesus, he's done. No one's going to accept what he has to say. He's going to fall prey to being a victim of this lie. And it trumped everything. They knew it. It's why they tried to go, as they say, right for the juggler. Let's take Jesus out. He's demon-possessed. It's like a nuclear bomb that destroys the target totally and completely. And there's no way to come back. Death. So, if they could accomplish this, they could, they could really make their cause win in the end. If it was believable that Jesus was demon-possessed. So, they wanted people to kind of shake their heads at this poor man named Jesus and say, oh, he says these things because he's crazy. He's actually demon-possessed. Our religious teachers told us that. And so really, nothing he says is believable. Poor guy, he needs to just go live on a mountainside somewhere. It's dismissing the Son of God. Think about that. And this would discredit anything else he had to say. I ask you, how, how do you respond to someone discrediting your name? Someone who is, is coming after you. It's, it's really hard. I, I was, we were, Bonnie and I were watching the news these last couple of weeks about this AI, artificial intelligence, computer stuff. Have, have you guys fo followed this? 
that it, it has the capacity to use logic and solving problems greater than humans and, and how, you know, scores, college exams, attorney, uh, the bar tests are, can all be passed by this computer. You don't have to study or know anything in your mind. You just put it in this system. And then, and then we watch a special on, on voice and how anybody, they can record your voice and digitally put in the vibrations and everything and make anyone talking through the software sound just like you. So that it could be me, not me really, but my voice calling my wife Bonnie saying, hey, you know, go get some money out of the bank and meet me at this spot. And it's my voice calling her phone. She's gonna, it's believable. And you, you look at this artificial intelligence and all, all this voice recognition and how easy it is for scammers and, and people who want fraud. And I just stopped for a minute and I said, Jesus, would you come back, please? I'm so done with this. I'm so done with this. Our credit cards have been hit a couple times where they, and then they just, you call the credit card company and they just say, oh, we'll send you a new card, wipe that one out. And you're like, yeah, but I have bills attached to that. What am I supposed to do with Netflix? It's a real pain. Do you know, this is crazy. Three, I think three times now uh, in our media department, Cindy Dalton kind of leads our, our team with these scammers who try to get in our databases and all that stuff. And, and so she, she, three times over these years, she sent me a picture. The first one was of me standing out in front of our sign on Timberline Road, where it says Timberline Church. And I'm standing there like this. It's really me. And it says, welcome to Timberline, let love live on the bottom. And it says, welcome to my new Facebook page. Only problem is it wasn't me. I'm, I'm, I don't have a Facebook page. And, and then it's the soliciting for money. Oh, Timberliners, we're doing this really cool thing. And these poor people need your help. Could you send in five bucks? It'll make a difference. And send it to this address and it'll be a direct deposit. I'm freaking out. It's not, if you ever see me asking for money on Facebook or some social media, it will be a lie. Deal? It'll be a lie. Don't believe it. I would never do that. But that happened. It's, it's hard to get a hold of the management of Facebook to get that stuff taken off. Believe me. Poor Cindy. Three times we've had to do that with different social media platforms. Why? Because someone wants to use your trust of me to betray you. And, and it doesn't make me very happy. And you say, well, who is it? Let's find out who it is. And they say, well, we can't really find out. It bounces to this country and then it goes here and then it goes over there. We, we have no track number. Well, we're gonna catch them. Get the dog out. Get the... I mean, it's just, it's just so maddening. I just, I don't like it. But, but please understand, these accusations are real in our culture. And, and sometimes it's not super big evil things. Sometimes it's just the way we are taught to react to people. So we had an incident a few years ago where we had, we love students. And we had some middle school boys who found that our parking lot and our sidewalks and our benches were really nice place to skateboard. And really nice to jump their skateboards up on those benches and scrape them like a rail. And takes the paint right off. And so our facilities team sees them out there. And uh, so they, they thought, well, 
It's a good time to talk with them. Let's get our youth pastor, J-Matt, involved. And so they called J-Matt, and J-Matt's so great. And he goes out there, and, you know, they expected him, I think, to just like, what are you kids doing out here? You're ruining the paint. But you know what J-Matt did? He goes out there, and he says, hey, guys, and they start running. They pick up the board, start running. He said, no, come back. I want to see your boards. Come on, let me, let me give it a shot. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah, come on back. I ride. J-Matt, if you know J-Matt, I ride. <laughs> hey, man, come on back. I ride. <laughs> they come back. And he hops on one of their boards, does a couple tricks. They're impressed. And he's like, hey, I'll tell you what. Why not tomorrow I'll bring my board and we'll meet here at the same time and we'll ride together. And I'll buy your lunch. And they came back and he bought their lunch. They got involved in the youth group. They've been involved in the youth group for years now. Why? Because someone cared more about the person than they did the paint. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't like it that we had to repaint all those, but <laughs> it's just this idea of what is my first response? Where do I let my, what, did Jesus just start slamming these guys? What do you mean I'm demon possessed? Who do you think you are? Come on. I'll show you power. No, that's not what he did at all. Number three, explanation and logic. Whoa, there's a thought. What Jesus is about to do is notable. It's notable. And I want you to really pause and think about what's about to happen here. Verse 23. Jesus calls them over and smacks them good. No, he doesn't. He called them over and responded. Responded. With an illustration. He's basically saying, come on over, boys. Want to talk about this? Listen, how can Satan cast out Satan? Have you ever thought about this? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse, and similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. They're all just kind of standing there, like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he's saying the devil doesn't cast out the devil. You haven't thought this through. It's not a good argument. You're better than this. <laughs> he goes on. He says, and let me illustrate with something else you guys need to think about. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger? Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Why is he saying this? He's saying, I'm the guy who casts out demons because my kingdom is bigger than that kingdom. That's what he's saying. I'm bigger. That's why I cast out demons. Your logic makes no sense. It's a lie and you know it. Wow. I think it just goes quiet in the house. And I think the religious leaders are like, well, that was not a very good idea, Joe. Why'd you come up with that one? <laughs> and then he goes on. 
And he actually gives a really scary warning about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's how it's associated before I read it. They were saying Jesus was demon-possessed, making a mockery out of possession, demon possession, and making a mockery out of the evil one. It was a joke to them. And he's warning them that that kind of joking around about the Holy Spirit is not tolerated by God because this is real stuff. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Whoa. This is a sin with eternal consequences, he told them. He told them this because he was saying, or they were saying, he's possessed by an evil spirit, making a mockery out of what real possession really was. And boy, they did not understand the consequences of this kind of a thing. Now, I do need to address the fact that Jesus was logical. He told a story, my kingdom is greater, the devil won't fight against himself. All of that makes sense. When it comes to this blasphemy, let me say a couple things about it because I don't want you to be tricked into believing you've committed a sin of blasphemy of the, whole, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a setting that was very Pentecostal and we had evangelists and we had revivals and every now and then this passage would come up and I would hear an evangelist say something like, if you ever commit the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you will never be forgiven. And I'm like, I think I have. I must have somewhere, I must have. We had a lady that always went like this when, when she worshiped and we sort of made fun of her sometimes and I knew that was my end. And then I had my parents and some other leaders sit me down and say, because I was weeping that I could never be forgiven. I've committed the unpardonable sin. Anyone else in this dilemma besides me? We're going to start a small group for support. <laughs> they said, if you even care about this, uh, you haven't committed it. I'm like, because I do care, really? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's very many people in the world that fall into this category, honestly. I was reading some articles about all this. Sam Storm, so I don't know personally or anything, but he had an article where he said, it is possible to put yourself beyond the possibility of forgiveness, but that is not God's fault. It is not for lack of mercy in him, it is not because he is limited in compassion or power or grace. It is because a man or a woman who has seen the truth and heard the truth and even tasted the truth has chosen to harden their heart to the point that they have rendered themselves impervious to repentance and conviction. I haven't ever done that. And I don't believe you would be here if you had done that. So... Thank God we all can be forgiven. Amen? So you don't have to worry about that sin. Now I want to jump into the last thing. And, and I've called it family. Because it's another passage that gets ripped up a lot by people who don't understand why Jesus would say what he said. And so uh, follow, follow along. Let's look at this carefully. So 
Here's, here's what happens. Jesus is teaching. He's made this big correction with the religious leaders. There's a riff in the room. Now they're, you know, they know he's not demon-possessed. He's trying to teach something good. And then, in verse 31, Jesus' mother and his brothers show up at the house. So, we know they weren't in the house before. They show up at the house. They're outside the house. They can't get in because it's too crowded. And so they send word. They stood outside the house. They sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replies, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him. Who's around him? Religious leaders. Remember? He looks at those around him. He's trying to make a huge contrast. Look. These are my mother, and there are some believers in the room too. So he's, he's letting the religious leaders see that he's looking at probably his disciples. These are my brothers, my mother. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. These are my followers. So, okay, was Jesus just being mean to his mom? No, here's what, here's what he was trying to do. He had an opportunity with those religious leaders in the room where he could make a stark contrast about the new kingdom of God versus what they believed about the kingdom of God. And it involves the real family of God. These religious believers had a lineage. They had father who? Abraham. Their lineage had been, had been stacked all the way down to their name. I mean, you think of the Jewish history that they have, the Old Testament just recording their, their whole journey. It's fascinating. And they believed that this God, this big mighty God, this was their lineage and they would have easy access to God because they were in that genealogy. They could do anything they wanted. They could get away with anything they wanted because they were in this genealogy. And that's why they had so much pride and arrogance is because they had a corner on the kingdom. No one else can get in. And they enjoyed making it really hard for people to get in. So Jesus just stops and looks around at his followers and his disciples and says, guess what, guys? Things have changed. The real God, my father, <laughs> our family is those who obey him. Our family is those who know him and repent and do his will on the earth, which you are not doing. You know, later on, Peter, who's influencing Mark and in writing this, is, is going to go to Cornelius' house. He's going he's to go into a Gentile's house. He's going he's to all of a sudden break the news, and Paul's going to write some of the letters that say, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Gentile anymore. What? Are you kidding me? To a Jewish mindset, that's impossible. We can't even get it in our head how big of a statement that would be to these guys sitting in the room. Jesus loved his mom. I wouldn't be surprised if he went outside later and hugged his mom and said, sorry, mom, I just had an opportunity there. Love you. 
One point I'll make, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. You can't ride on the coattails of your grandpa or your parents or your kids. But you don't understand, my family have been Christians for years. It doesn't matter. Who are you? Are you obeying God? It's gonna be you alone standing in front of God. The whole clan won't be there. Grandpa can't get you in there. Grandma's prayers, they're effective, but she can't stand and petition God at that day and say, but he's my grandson, he really needs in. You have to decide. You have to be obedient to God and his call on your life. So make a decision of your own free will today. Make that decision. That you're not just born into the kingdom. And another thing, this family's really important. I grew up in an era where my parents were Brother Northrup and Sister Northrup, and how many of you guys remember that era? I'm kinda glad we're past that, but it was an ongoing reminder that we're family. And that's why we sit here today as a family. That's why we call this our living room. It's because it's real. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. If I believe that, it changes who I am with you. It changes my love for you. I've got your back. You've got my, when someone speaks evil of you, I'm with you. I'm not gonna believe that lie. Could we just be family enough to say, wait a minute, I don't believe that's true. I know that person and I don't think you should be saying that about them. I wanna back up and read a quote that I think I missed that I want you to, to have about this idea of reputation. We are in a culture where you may not be able to control your reputation, but you can live your life so that people who really know you will not believe the lie about you. Amen? Okay, let's go to the, the, the homework, if I can call it that. I'm gonna do this. I've already started it. Practice this week. Number one, respond rather than react. Just, that's an easy statement. You've heard it before. What does it mean to be a responding person rather than that reactionary, okay, I'll push you back. You push me harder, I'll push you harder. You hit me, I'll hit you harder. Instead, what did Jesus do? Hey, let's talk about this, guys. Let's put some logic in it. I know the people usually that are frustrated at you won't respond to logic but you don't have to play their game and you don't have to become like them. Time will show and time will tell. Have a conversation. If you hear something bad about someone that you love and you know and it's not in character for them, talk to them. I've had people come to me and say, man, I heard this, is this true? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's talk about this. Let's call the person who told you this. Let's get this settled, this is crazy. And you'll, you'll get to the bottom of it and, and all people will be relieved. The second one is just choose your self-talk. Guys, what goes on between your ears and what you say to yourself, you can sit and work yourself up for 30 minutes with no one else in the room by the conversation you're having in your brain. And you're doing their side of the argument. Well, if I say this, they're gonna say that and then I'll tell you what I'm gonna say and then I'm gonna, and I'll push for that and I'll. And you got this whole thing settled and it's probably never even gonna happen. But boy, have you wasted a half an hour. Self-talk matters. And another thing about self-talk is Satan wants to push you weary, tired, hungry into believing you're worthless. You're no good. You messed up. 
Which takes us to the third point, and this is a big one. Hang on. Walk in the, in the truth about yourself. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I've had some stuff in my life that was truly the truth about me that I didn't like. Anyone else? I'm like, okay, I'm gonna talk about this. I'm gonna deal with this. I don't like this about me. I'm gonna change that. And God's given grace and, and God will be there for you and he'll help you. But I wanna walk in the truth about me, not just what I want to be the truth. So sometimes that means I have to own it and go apologize. Other times it means I stand firm on my belief and I don't, I don't have to go explain it to someone else because this is the truth and I've already answered the question and it's true and it's not changing. Let's pray together. Lord, this matters. These things are so big and we really need to understand who you are and who your family is and that we are your kids. We are called the sons and daughters of God. Wow. Help us to act like it. Help us to be heirs of Christ. Help us when our feathers get ruffled to know how to respond and not just react, Lord. Even for those right now in this room, online as well, who are really struggling with what someone said about them. I just pray you'll lift them above that, even now, that they are a son of God. They are a daughter of God. We walk in that truth today. We sure do love you, Lord, and we are thankful. If you need to repent of your sin to know God personally, do it now. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I don't want this in my life anymore. Some of you just need to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to control my self-talk. It's messing me up. It's, it's making me a wreck. I really don't want to be that. I want... I want it to be holy what's going on in my brain. I want it to be right. Just tell him, he'll help you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll show up because he loves you. He created you for more than this. Believe it. Accept it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I sure love you guys. We're a bunch of messed up people, aren't we? Just trying to live for God and getting it right. Keep loving him, keep walking, keep running, because he's running toward you as well. And I'll sure be glad when he, he comes back. It's a tough world we live in, I get it. But we have this hope, he will. And in the end, who wins? He wins. Have this hope, amen. Guys, thank you for your faithfulness in giving and, and sharing the load of the burden of the ministries of Timberline. I mean that. It's making a huge difference with so many faces right now. It's unbelievable. All the needs that are out there, they're very, very real. So many disasters, and we really are a church that responds. So thank you for your generosity in that. And uh, again, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you either today at Summit or back at the Welcome Center. And uh, if you have a, a Moe's scar, please come and share it with me, and uh, we'll have a nice time back there. We'll, we'll have a little party, okay? Stand, if you're able, let's sing this song. Great song. Now, in light of what we've talked about today, sing this song and, and pay attention to the lyrics as you say them, okay? Matt, lead us. Just think about the lyrics. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Yes. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 
Pastor Derry for sharing this morning. Uh, and if you are someone who took a next step toward God in your faith journey, we want to celebrate that. Our prayer team will be right up here at the front after the service ends. If you have any prayer needs, please come forward. They would love to pray for whatever it is that's going on in your life. As always, like Pastor Derry said, thank you so much for your generosity and giving. When you give, you're literally impacting thousands of lives around the world. You know, we are working with our ministry partner, Convoy of Hope, and they've had boots on the ground over in Turkey and Syria after the terrible earthquakes that took place last month. So we get to be a part of the work that they're doing. Again, you can give online, use the app, or drop your offering in the box on your way out this morning. And if you're new, stop by the Welcome Center. Pastor Derry would love to say hi to you and shake your hand. God bless everyone. Have a great rest of your week. Go in peace.